the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, big day, big day for the Pro-America Report. Unbelievable, really. Um, We've gone from a a daily radio program to a nationally distributed uh, podcast to a newsmaker on uh, social media and to... What I think today is one of the great uh, journalistic coups uh, in the last, I don't know, five years, 10 years. And that is that we put out today a video that explains how I, uh, with a lot of help, found the people who built the gallows on January 6th. And so unbelievable. So welcome to Ed Martin's Pro-America Report, ProAmericaReport.com. Go there and sign up to get uh, regular email updates and longer form writing. It's a sub stack there, and I do it so free. You can go there for free. It doesn't cost you anything, but I, I do a lot of writing there. I try to do a longer form writing, uh, and so you want to check it out. So, But uh, today, how did we get here? Well, I started looking at um, video of January 6th, I don't know, a couple a year and a half ago. Um, and as I was looking at it, it was mostly and I, I never actually went into the video uh, that the Department of Justice uh, gave us access to as lawyers. I never went into that. I never logged onto that. There were other people on our team that did that work. And so I only started looking at video when the Republicans got control of the U.S. House and they got control of the video. And so I would go in and then Congressman Barry Loudermilk's staff, uh, Elliot at the time, Logan, another guy named William now gave us access to go look. And I started looking and I got familiar. And there's some really talented people who have been looking at this stuff. Julie Kelly is the most famous journalist, but a woman named Haley, who was uh, digging into this a guy named Will, uh, really smart people that looked at a lot of video. And when you go in to look at it, it's like a needle in a haystack, except it's a, 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 a um, digital needle in a massive, massive a digital haystack. I mean, just massive. When you go to try to look at five hours on a screen, you're sitting there way, you know, and you can speed it up. You can speed it up to up to 40 times and view it. Anyway, here's what happened. We started looking at certain things, certain aspects of the January 6th events that had not been covered and uncovered. You know, the pipe bomber, I've looked at hundreds of hours of pipe bomber, and there's lots of stories there. It's going to be another story that we get to uh, that I'm going to get to that I've been looking at. But one of them was the gallows and the fake noose, the fake gallows and the fake noose. Why do I say it's fake? Well, it was clearly a prop. 
where it was positioned was just perfectly so you could lean down and shoot a photograph and have the Capitol framed in the background. If you did that too close to the Capitol, if you built this fake gallows too close, because it wasn't a real gallows, it wasn't heavy enough to hold uh, people or anything else. And the noose was a fake noose. And so you said, I said, why is this like this? Why is it? Why, why did this happen the way it happened? Why did this major, major piece of January 6th not get uncovered? It, it, it was covered. Every single Democrat and every select committee included images of the gallows and especially the noose because they wanted to make it sound like the people that were gathered, the MAGA people were extreme and nasty. And of course, it was a lie. But it doesn't matter if a lie is said with enough force and over and over again, it becomes the truth to a lot of people. We've learned that with the narrative machine. So I, I said to myself and to others, what's with this gallows? What's with this noose? And then I have to tell you, I made a mistake. I did not actually identify the vi- the camera. So there's there's dozens and dozens of cameras that are uh, recording that were recording things, uh, uh, events on January 5th and 6th. All over the Capitol, uh, the Capitol grounds, the and the Capitol uh, uh, grounds extend beyond what you would see if you saw the Capitol and the and the green around it. It extends into the neighborhoods surround, uh, uh, surrounding the area. I think it's actually by a mile or so. But anyway, there are lots of cameras, lots of cameras to look at. And I made a mistake. I said I couldn't find the gallows, which were constructed on the reflecting pool uh, towards the mall in front of the Capitol. I couldn't find them because the camera was out. That's what I said. And one of the guys, Williams, said, no, I think you're wrong. The camera's not out. And I said, no, I think it's out. And we went and looked at the very top of the U.S. Capitol, the very, very top. There's a camera. It must be an incredible um, it must be an incredible lens because it looks out over the mall and it has. Uh, or if it's not the lens, it's the the electronic quality of it, right? The the uh, the pixels and all, because you can get a lot out of it. It's very clear. I mean, it's still very far away, at the very top of the Capitol. But so I started watching again, and at about six fifteen in the morning on January sixth, I noticed it's dark that something tan moved across the area where we were looking, where the the, the gallows was constructed, and I thought, what was that? And it looked like it could be the, 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 you know, light color of the plywood that was used for this. So I worked backwards. <clears throat> I worked backwards from 6.30 a.m. when I saw this movement. And I went over towards where the movement came from, which is as you're facing the mall uh, on top of the Capitol, it was to the right. And so I worked backwards. And there are, again, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten cameras. And I just went on each camera, and I logged in a little bit before the time where I saw the uh, movement on the the, uh, reflecting pool. And I'll be darned if we didn't find it. And then we worked back and checked all the cameras. And then we found that there were five people on what I call the fake gallows gang. And they arrived at about 627. Three of them got out of a van, a white van. Two of them got out of a cab. The three that got out of the van, the big, it's kind of a truck van, lifted out of it this massive structure that was plywood and stacked together with wheels attached to the side. And then they wheeled it across the street, right across Constitution, down the block and across the mall, the edge of the mall, into the reflecting pool at about arriving at about 635, 633. And they started to put it together and it's in the dark at this point. So what you see is not very clear, but it's identifiable. 
The Gallows gang, the, the fake Gallows, fake noose gang started at about 627 when they arrived and they started building on the on the that was when they got out of their car and wheeled this thing over. They started building at about 630, 631 in the dark planned. It was planned. They planned to do it in the dark. They put it together in the dark. Two of the Gallows gang went off to get coffee. One, the ringleader who wears a fedora and a big trench coat and a big scarf and has a walking stick. And so I call him Mr. Coffee. Mr. Coffee and a sidekick go off to get coffee at a coffee shop right across from the FBI building. How about that? And they come back. And now it gets to be light. So they finish constructing this thing, but they get out of Dodge because it's starting to get light. And by the time they're leaving, it's about five or ten after seven in the morning. And you can see them clearly. You can see them clearly. You can see that they're on their phone. One of them's on his phone. You can see that they're walking together. They carry away from the gallows two things that are identifiable. One, a plastic bag, which has the wheels in it. The wheels must have been detachable, probably has a hammer or something. I don't know if there was much hammering. It looks like it was constructed to go together, but we don't know. But they also leave with the crossbeam. And you say the crossbeam, yeah, because the the actual gallows was not identifiable as anything but a platform. It looked like a platform that was on the uh, in front of the reflecting pool until later that morning, 1030, 11 o'clock. They come back and put the crossbar and hang the noose. Now, why? Well, my speculation, we don't know yet. And where we put this video out. And if you, by the way, you can go and you should go. You should go to check it out. Open slash J6. We have a J6, a special collection of videos, all the videos I got, some of the writings of key people, lots of stuff there, open.inc slash J6. But when you look at this video that we put together, you can see identifiable these people. We need to find them. I don't know who they are. I do know I checked around the neighborhood where they got coffee and someone remembered them, at least seemed to remember them. I I can't say for sure the person wouldn't go on the record, but we got to find these people. And, you know, we can find them and the FBI could find them. And the select committee of Nancy Pelosi, Liz Cheney and the others could have found them. They didn't even try. Why? Because the whole thing was a staged operation. At least as to the fake gallows and the fake noose, you can say these weren't MAGA people. These they didn't stay for the MAGA fun. They were people. They look to me. They look to me like professors, like middle aged guys. But they're Democrat operatives. I feel confident. And there's by the way, there were people talking about how to do this kind of stuff, protests and agent provocateurs, et cetera. We're going to get into that. So here's what we did. Again, the Pro-America Report started out as a radio show, me talking, and then became, you know, a lot more because we're now a nationally syndicated podcast. We got lots of standalone links. People are paying attention. We have unbelievable guests. But now we just broke, I don't know, the biggest story in, in years as to January 6th. And we're only just starting. We're only just starting. And I partnered up with people. Catherine Engelbrecht is one of the people. She's phenomenal. You know, she uh, she's famous for True the Vote. And she's just she's great. And we paired up with her because I said to her, we we need to uh, we need to build. I, I asked her, I know you have experience with um, with the um, uh, the. Uh, technology and 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 uh, from 2000 mules, the, you know, checking on cell phone, but also video. And her colleague, Greg Phillips, is really the lead guy over there. So you got to check it out. What you need to know is we're breaking the news. Go to my Twitter for X feed. Go to this website. As I told you, open.inc slash J6. That's what you need to know. It's Ed Martin changing America here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. A very interesting topic to take up now, and I'm I'm very pleased our next guest uh, had some time. We tried to get him booked. I think I was running different ways. Wayne Black, he's an author, uh, author of a book called School Insecurity, a comprehensive guide for parents and educators on school security, protecting your children and fostering a safe learning environment. He's got almost five decades of professional security experience. That's his real background, if I can say, before he's an author. He was a Miami-Dade uh, police detective, uh, worked uh, under uh, in the federal government doing organized crime stuff and also in private security for some of the most famous Americans around. You can find out more. I'll put his website up at wayneblack.com. So first of all, welcome, sir. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. So I, the reason I wanted to talk to you was in the context of what we saw in Israel, which was a kind of organized, not kind of a terrorist attack, but organized in a particular way, um, really based on terror, you know, door to door, little, you know, place to place in the community. It's almost hard to imagine for Americans. On the other hand, it made me think immediately, what happens if a whole bunch of people in America that don't like America did this? And I guess my question is, are, you know, people say, are we secure? You know how and we worry about schools a lot. How how secure are we? I mean, could we could we face something like what happened, at least in terms of the terror part of it? Unfortunately, yes, uh, we're worried sick about um, about that possibility. Look, um, even the people that were identified, let's take the 6,700 people from Afghanistan this year who have crossed the southern border. The 100,000 people were put on planes when Afghanistan fell. And think of the think of the ones that the, the gotaways. So, yeah, look, 13 people did 9-11. Yeah. So we're, we're just worried sick about what could happen here. And yes, not only the people that could be energized that are already here. I mean, you look at the rallies, the anti-Israeli, the anti-Semitic rallies. Um, there are thousands of people that go to those. We just need, you know, a handful to start doing something. Um, we're talking with Wayne Black, again, a security expert. And, and, and specifically, I do want to touch on schools. Everybody worries about schools. And and maybe ask it this way. You're down in, in, in uh, Florida. So Parkland is um, in your front or backyard. I don't know how to think of the geography of Florida. But but uh, have we have we improved our schools? Do you feel do, when you wrote your book and when you talk, are we do we understand the problem of schools? I mean, the schools thing is more it's really a um, a, a disturbed person thing as opposed to a organized terrorist attack. You know, so. But have we gotten better at that? Are we tightening up our security? I think we are in private schools and schools that listen. Remember, in Texas and in Florida, um, by law now, uh, you're required to have a school resource officer, an armed person at school, and do your own assessment. Some states don't do that. Some states like Colorado, in certain parts of Colorado, they're doing away with school resource officers. Yeah, to the extent that it's political, that's the problem. When I talk to boards of education, it's all over the map. There's some might be somebody on the board that says, well, we don't want to live in fear, which is a total denial, a normalcy bias denial approach. And then um, it's all it's back and forth to the extent that it's political. That's the problem. So I wrote the book for parents and grandparents. My checklist is in the book. I can't yeah. be everywhere. Right. And they need to just stand up and ask school boards these questions. And if they don't want to answer or they can't answer. They should homeschool or move the kids to a private school or one that protects them. They've got an absolute duty to protect your children. Well, and Wayne Black is our guest. Again, he's the author of School and Security, a book on uh, a comprehensive guide for parents and uh, educators on school security. He's also the founder of Wayne Black and Associates uh, Security Consulting Firm. So 
Uh, and I guess one of the things about the school board attention of a lot of parents is they're saying, hey, don't teach sex ed, you know, these crazy things in our schools a lot of times. And one of the other, they might as well ask the question, how's our safety going? I mean, that's one of your points is, hey, you, you can keep your kid protected from, you know, pornographic text. Good job. But if you're not being careful about security now, having said all that, I, I went to a school recently, a public school. My kids were playing sports, I think. And it was um, like it was uh, confusing and and unsettling how to get in and out of the place because they had closed doors and locked doors and all those kinds of things. I guess that's just a new reality. It's, we're not going back to 1972 or something. I mean, we just got to live with that, huh? Well, if it's confusing at a school, it's because they probably have created a security committee. And that's <laughs> when they say, well, we should probably do something. We'll get a bunch of people, a bunch of educators, some teachers, and we're on a security committee and, and they're, they're spitballing it. We call that spitballing. Right. And when they, when they tell me they have a security committee, instead of listening to law enforcement or listening to a professional, I tell them, well, geez, if that's the case, I might as well do appendectomies in the parking lot on the weekend because right. I know just about as much about that as you do about security. Yeah, good point. I mean, really good point. All right. All right, Wayne, I want to switch to something else of that. That's it. When I was looking at your work again, we're talking with Wayne Black. Um you, you did private security after all those years in, in working in law enforcement, um, for big time people, famous people. I won't bother listing them, but, but except to ask you this, uh, more and more people, uh, feel unsafe in places like, you know, downtown Washington, DC or New York City or Chicago, or I, I venture to guess, I don't know for sure, Miami. Um, is, what is the answer? Is the answer, you know, more security or is the answer, frankly, get the hell out and then don't bother. Don't try. Well, it depends on where you are. If you're in a if you're in a locality or a jurisdiction that doesn't prosecute bad guys, you can see uh, what the crime rate is in those cities like Chicago, New York, St. Louis, Baltimore, Portland. It's off the charts, and a lot of that started, you know, during COVID and because of some of the riots around the country. So, uh, I would we're so lucky to live in Florida, right. and the people in Texas are lucky because they actually enforce the laws there. So that depends on what you're doing. But now with what's happening in Israel, I would really be concerned about public gatherings, not so much about sporting events. We can protect them. Uh, we can protect the president of the United States. Uh, why can't we protect our kids? They're just as important. Uh, Wayne Black is our guest. Um, Wayne, you were and I, this is going to be we were talking off the air. So you you can smile as I ask you. You got a few gray hairs. You got a few years on you. You know, your career has been 50 years or so. So you didn't start when you were five. You started. So you've been around this. Is this is the crime in the cities? You know, you, you, when you were a young Miami Dade detective or even just a cop, you'd have a liberal prosecutor or a prosecutor didn't want to uh, enforce X or Y. They, their preference was this. Right. Or, some, you know, picture some. And you say, yeah, yeah, you know, that prosecutor is not tough enough on crime. But we're a whole different category, right? I mean, I, t tell me about how it dramatically it's not that it's it's, um, oh, I have a preference for this, you know, set of things. I want to enforce carjackings because I want the quality of life to improve. No, they're just not enforcing anything against really certain groups of people. Right. I mean, it's a different category or different uh, qualitative level of, of prosecutorial uh, I I discretion. Yeah, I never saw that before. Prosecutors are supposed to enforce the laws on the books. But when I was a detective in Miami, we enforced the laws. We never had any of these issues with prosecutors. We had a prosecutor just recently in Tampa that the governor the governor fired an elected prosecutor because he didn't want to um, enforce certain laws. And he's required to do that by statute. Now, he arrested a preacher for having a, an outside service during COVID. 
but he he lets armed robbers out. And the same thing happened with the one in Orlando, a real progressive George Soros prosecutor decided he wasn't going to enforce the laws and the governor blew him out. So hmm. that's what you need in those in those jurisdictions. They they ultimately uh, have a jurisdiction reporting to the governor. So this one uh, this one took care of it. Thank you. Uh, um, I, and I just was looking back at my notes. Um, we're talking with Wayne Black. You know, one of the things that it feels like we should be able to do when it comes to school security is talk more openly about the kids that might be really disturbed. You find out afterwards that you're not allowed to talk about so-and-so because to ostracize him or damage him or whatever. So how do you talk about that, uh, Wayne? In other words, you know, there's some people in a school, you could say that kid's really, he's not, he's disturbed and you got to do something about it. And, or, and, and the flip sides, as someone said, is, is there a danger that some people get targeted for for not being normal. I, I, it's a real catch-22 in this world of sort of wokeness. Well, we call it OCB, Observable Concerning Behavior, and that's part of the plan. That's just as important as locking the doors. When kids change, teachers need to be sensitized to tell somebody and get that person to counseling. If they look different, act different, walk different, smell different, they come to school, they're injured or something like that, we should do something about them. Every school shooter, nobody snaps in these school shootings. That's right. a misnomer. Right. They decide. So right. every school shooter gives us a red flag and gives somebody a red flag. Uh, sometimes they call their friends and say, don't come to school tomorrow. Something's really serious going to happen or they, hmm. they're aggressive with the teacher. But um, that the school needs to handle that at the time and not ignore it. it has nothing to do with HIPAA or privacy or anything else. It has to do with the safety of the children. That's great. That's I'm glad I got that question. And thank you, uh, Wayne Black. I'm out of time, unfortunately. I got a hard uh, stop. I got to finish. Uh, Wayne Black, I'll put it up on social media. Very helpful uh, conversation. And especially that last part, I'm going to make sure to uh, highlight that for one of our Eagles who had that question. We got to take a break, everybody. Well, put up on social media, Wayne Black and his info, and especially uh, we'll highlight uh, his book, School Insecurity. Be right back. Ed Martin on the Pro-America Report back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is David Johnson. You might know that name. If you do, it's because he was an insider who uh, worked with Project Veritas, um, and he had uh, come out and exposed how Hasbro was pushing one of these crazy kind of CRT or critical race theory um, uh, pushes. There was a thing called um, uh, The Conscious Kid, and uh, uh, and and it's an extraordinary story. Now, he's written a book, David Johnson, along with uh, Kent Heckenlively. I want to make sure to say his name, too. Uh, co-author of the book is called The Diversity Con from our friends at Bombardier Press. And uh, so, first of all, welcome uh, to the program. Uh, and uh, thank you for spending some time with us, uh, David Johnson. How are you, sir? I'm good. I really appreciate you having me on today. Well, nice to have you again. The book is The Diversity Con. I'll put it up on uh, social media. I was telling him off the air that I got a copy of the book, I think, yesterday morning. So I've only gone through my trick. I have to tell you, David, I read the first and last chapter, and then I go fighting in between and, and find my way through. So don't tell anybody my trick. But uh, first of all, great to, <laughs> great, great to see a forward by Dennis Prager. That's uh, yeah, And people are paying attention to what you're saying, which is super. And so congratulations on that. Now, first, before we get to the book, y- y- you were sort of a whistleblower lower did your job did you were you canceled did you find yourself canceled did you have to leave your job did you find yourself uh, uh, uh you know on an island how did it work out for you 
It, uh, I guess you could say I was canceled in a sense. Um, so I was a contractor with Hasbro. Uh, it was a six-month contract. The um, I ended up going live with that story maybe a month or two into that time period. And as soon as my story broke, uh, I was locked out of all of my accounts. Uh, I could not contact anyone, including my manager. And then Hasbro just did not contact me until the contract was up and then just said, return our machines. And that was the end of it, <laughs> um, which is probably the best PR move for them if they didn't want to bring any more attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, that is clever. So, but did you get another job? I mean, did, did, or did you get blacklisted anywhere else or did, you know, a, a contract, they could wait that out. But I guess my point is, did they find a way it, were you in the industry in such a way that it was, it, it hurt you broadly, or did you find that you found opportunities because of it? I, I kind of like when somebody can say, Hey, I did the right thing and I got lots of opportunities for it. But I don't know if that's true with you. I'm, that's why I'm asking. I, sometimes it's not true. With me, um, it took me a while to find a job after that. Um, mm -hmm. I can't really say if that was because of the whistleblower uh, incidents or just because of the job market itself. Um, I was able to find uh, new employment eventually. So I'm doing pretty good. Did um I I don't think it matters but I I didn't know until you we just called in to talk to each other that I I didn't think about it that you're African American too I guess that's is that a factor um did you find that you were uh that it that that part of it made people antagonistic to you in a special way um I I don't think so no. um. It does play into um my perspective that I give into this book um it's and actually it goes into why. I went public in the first place. Um, I think anyone who's paying attention to the culture war can just notice that most people who come out and criticize um, racial organizations or race baiting organizations right. or um, the LGBTQ uh, organizations, you'll come out and you'll be labeled as some kind of bigot, racist, sexist, all those buzzwords. But with me, I'm black and gay, so they can't, <laughs> they cannot slander those. That, that's, the, that's, that's the thing I said. You got like the ultimate freedom that they're not allowed to slander, although they still do. Of course, they still, uh, they, they still, it doesn't stop them from being, uh, terrible. And of course, and, uh, um, so, uh, <laughs> but okay. So, uh, end of the book. What does genuine courage look like? I told you I go back and forth and you write about Martin Luther King Jr. and all. Uh, what do you, how do you say to people when, when I read this book to me, you did have courage, but you sort of, I hate to say it, I, I, I'm from the perch I'm in, which is not having had to deal with um, the challenges you would have. You sort of had been through life and you were like, I know what where I am. I don't mind doing this. Most people, I don't know, I mind, but most people are, are it's harder to get to, to that courage. And, and when they read this book, when I read this book, I thought, man, this guy did this. It, it's sort of ins inspirational. Is that part of the book is that and how do you tell people in a world where man it's expensive to put your head up in terms of the cancel and the negativity and the kinds of things you get how do you how do you tell them do it anyway um that's a great question um a big portion especially the last part of the book is definitely about inspiring people to stand up against what they see is wrong um that's the only way we're going to be able to mount a resistance against the cultural forces that are trying to destroy this country in the west um for me at the time um when i got this hasbro job i had just come off of like a very rough time in my life. I had lost a previous job. I was very ill for a long time. And then I got a job working in a factory. Um, 
So to go from like the factory to Hasbro, I was very excited. It was a great opportunity. But when they brought us into that um, DEI um, workshop and they were trying to indoctrinate us and they wanted us to indoctrinate other people, my thought process was just, you know, I could go back to working at the factory if I really needed to. <laughs> right. But people need to know about this. Children or parents need to know that these companies are going after their children and they need to they have to stop it. We cannot let the next generation become indoctrinated because the next generation is the future. Children are the future of any civilization. And ours is definitely under attack on a moral and fundamental level. So for me, it was worth the the cost of losing that Hasbro job. We're talking to David Johnson. He's referring to um, his experience and then and the the book that he's written called uh, the Diversity Con. Um, page, uh, sorry, you got me off my uh, thing. Page um, one seventy three of the book, uh, seventy five of the book. You write this: equity is just another word for discrimination. And then next sentence, next paragraph. Is that too bold a statement of a statement to make? Um, and then you go on and you reference uh, Ibram X. Kendi. So I, I want to ask you. To me, y- you can say that because again, you're you're coming from your experience, uh, but. It's important for people to hear that it's not equity is not sort of not working. It's it's hard to judge. It is actually a a code for discrimination, just acceptable discrimination to certain people. And then Kendi is the leader of it. He's been sort of not sort of he's been exposed in the last few weeks as as having not been quite so uh, I don't want to I don't want to say he's like BLM, but it's close in terms of having run a, a racket. Equity is such a trick word. I'm glad you did it. Are you seeing people uh, recognize what you said and, and understanding the reality? Um, I haven't seen that much from people reacting to my book yet just because it's so new. Yeah. But um, the news with Ibram X. Kendi, I think, is waking up a lot of people and just more recent um, incidents with groups like Black Lives Matter for the things that they've supported. I think a lot of people are starting to wake up to realize that these, uh, these groups and the, their leaders, the thought leaders who, have, who, uh, Ibram X. Kendi is one of, they are not acting in good faith. Um, and especially on the, when they promote equity, it's, it's an explicit term to encourage discrimination. And Ibram X. Kendi has a quote in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. The cure for past discrimination is present discrimination, and the cure for present discrimination is future discrimination. These are not people who subscribe to the ideals of Martin Luther King, who wanted a colorblind uh, America, where people are judged based on their character. They want to judge people based on their race, sex, and gender, and order them in a hierarchy. This is not an American philosophy. It's uniquely and distinctly anti-American. If uh, if one thing catches on, I hope it's that uh, in terms of this book coming out and we're talking again with David Johnson about his his uh, new new book, um, which is uh, from Bombardier Press, the diversity con available wherever you get books. I hope that catches on that conversation about equity. People need to realize that the word's been it sounds like a sweet word. It sounds like fair. Oh, be fair. And equity sounds like truth. Oh, equity. And in fact, it's uh, it's and it's been co-opted, but it's been defined now as exactly what you say. So, uh, again, the book is the diversity con, the secret 
uh, secrets and lies behind the shady DEI industry. I could talk for days with one of the authors here, David Johnson. His co-author is Kent Heckin Lively. Uh, thank you, David. I'm out of time. I've got to go, but uh, we appreciate it very much. Good luck with the book. Uh, best wishes. I hope it gets very popular. Thank you. I appreciate you having me again. Great All conversation. Right. Thank you, David Johnson, everybody. We will take a quick break and I'll put up on social media links to his book and uh, and uh, uh, to uh, other references to him. Be right back. Ed Martin on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, from the Phyllis Schlafly Center Studios, Ed Martin. The skunk-like smell of cannabis plants and production facilities are rattling liberal regions. The stench of pot smoking is far worse than cigarettes. And a Brooklyn, New York lawmaker who seeks to ban outdoor pot smoking in cities say that it's the second biggest complaint to his office after trash pickup. California journalist Anne Louise Bardock observed the odor of cannabis operations is like a few dozen skunks letting loose at the same time. And many others have complained about its daily effect on students in the California public schools. Bardock told the British newspaper The Guardian that cannabis production causes respiratory problems, including asthma and weepy eyes for some of the residents of California. Many of the grows, which is what cannabis cultivation farms are called, still remain illegal because the owners want to dodge taxes and regulations. Legalizing pot in California caused the black market for pot growing to boom because they're competing with the crowded market that's seen prices collapse by two thirds in the last year. Many of the cannabis operations are run by out of town corporations rather than local farmers. The mega spending on ballot initiatives is how the cannabis industry has captured and victimized nearly half of our nation, including places like Missouri, where the Republican legislature did not want it. Then rampant exploitation and crime flows into these states as cannabis invades. Thus, the pot industry is harmful not only to the consumers of the product, but also to the workers who are forced to produce under the often exploitative conditions and to the general public who have to put up with the putrid smell and the criminal element attracted to these untaxed ventures. There are few lawful profits in the cannabis industry, as ordinary investors and small businesses have been learning the hard way while watching their capital evaporate in smoke. Instead, legalizing pot makes it possible for the illegal operations to sell their weed to the unsuspecting public. Only these shady dealers stand to gain from the legalized marijuana, which is why the voters must hold the line against their intentionally misleading marketing. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Our mission, clearly stated at phyllisschlafly.com, is to enable and mobilize grassroots activism on behalf of cherished conservative values. You're encouraged today to go online and read the goals we support and those we oppose. Then join us. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and come back next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, winding things down, let me say it's time to start celebrating the sesquicentennial of America. That's the 250th anniversary of America. And you say to yourself, wait a second, Ed, 1776 is not 250 years ago. No, that's right. 1773 is, though. And December 16th, 
1773, so that's 250 years ago in a few months, Boston Tea Party. Boston Tea Party. That is the beginning, and it should be the beginning, of the, the celebrations that will run all the way through 1776 into 1777, depending on what date you want to celebrate. But there's lots to go. But the starting point should be the Boston Tea Party. So my challenge to you all is to get ready to start the sesquicentennial celebration, 250th anniversary of America's success in choosing liberty over tyranny, in choosing freedom over control from a far off country, from a far off government, choosing we the people over a monarchy. Lots of things and lots of things you can celebrate. I'm, I'm a big Sam Adams guy. I'm a big fan of Sam Adams and his uh, incredible life. And, and uh, I've admired how he did a lot of things. And so, you know, if you're if you're a Sam Adams guy, you, you're very interested in how uh, the the um, marking uh, the, the development of uh, of language of the of the Minutemen, of the use of the terms around liberty and the Liberty Tree and all these kinds of things that happen in our founding era. There's a lot to celebrate, a lot of extraordinary people, a lot of extraordinary events. But I would argue the Boston Tea Party, December 16th, 1773, that should be our starting point. And we can go 250 years back, celebrate that date, and then go forward. And there's plenty of incredible, memorable, serious uh, ways we can mark 250 years and celebrate and celebrate all the good stuff, all the things that were happening, all the ways that people came together. There were religious differences. There was cultural differences. There was lots of things. And they came together and they had a vision for living and being and working. And, you know, at the heart of the whole thing, very early on, were things like property rights, that became the central part of uh, of the of that sort of um, American uh, ethos. You hear me talk about it a lot. In the next couple of weeks, there's a a big um, a big uh, conference up in uh, Virginia, I think it is, uh, of people focused on the patent system, protecting the patent system, because the patent system says if you build it, if you invent it, if you come up with it, you should benefit. You shouldn't have to ask the king, or you shouldn't have to ask the the, the Führer. You shouldn't have to ask the Parliament. You shouldn't have to ask anybody. If you make it, if you invent it, you should have the ability to use it and profit from it in an American system for a while, not forever. At a certain point, the, the technology needs to be loosed in and, and freed up so other people can use it, but you should be able to benefit from it. That has been a single uh, focus of the American dream, the American experience, the American experiment since the earliest days. Sam Adams and the guys were talking about property rights. They were talking about the tax act because of what it was doing very early on. And so I'm, I'm my, my argument, we can make a list. I was having this, uh, a debate with a friend of mine who uh, is uh, working on a book and he's, the book is going to mark the sesquicentennial with lots of uh, specific things over the last 250 years that have happened almost like a, 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 um, a, a, um, an event or a, a, an idea or a success in America for every day of the year. And he's working on that book. And so he's telling, I was saying, man, you, we could make a list. We got a lot of very, very cool, a lot of really interesting uh, things that we can celebrate. And Mark, when you talk about sesquicentennial, so that's my pitch. The 1776 commission that Trump set up, they moved off um, the government pages because Joe Biden, of course, came in and, and immediately shut it down. But uh, Dr. Larry Arn, who is the head of Hillsdale College, he uh, took he was chair, I think, at the time he stayed chair. And that is now a nonprofit uh, private uh, entity, a commission that's actually still working on these issues, still working on highlighting the history, still working on finding ways to celebrate. And uh, my point is only that 
I, you know, you can't really have a tea party in this era. I wouldn't counsel in America having a big tea party gathering. Just think that the the environment is a little different, you know, in terms of uh, large gatherings in the public right now. I don't know that you can trust the law enforcement or the Antifa or anybody. So I wouldn't do that. But what I would do is find ways to celebrate and mark that holiday and understand it. Holiday, that's the wrong word, but it's it, it, mark that uh, commemoration, commemorate the day and the date um, that the tea, Boston Tea Party occurred and what happened, who did it, how they did it. You know, th- at that time, there was, I, I believe it is proven that the, the people who dressed up as Indians, as Native Americans, went out onto the ships to dump the tea. And by the way, they dumped the tea. They didn't damage the ships. They didn't damage any other property. They just did it to the tea. But I think it's proven that they dressed uh, in their outfits, their their, their uh, uh, Indian garb. They did that in the uh, they changed in their clothes after a meeting uh, that had been called. And, and they were in the the uh, ante room or whatever you call it, the front room of a publisher of one of the weekly or daily papers in Boston. I forget the name of the publisher. And even if I forget the name of the paper, my point is that, uh, that the, the support for this, uh, effort was, uh, grassroots, but it had leaders of different types involved, including publishers, a publisher. Of course, at that time in Boston, there would have been a dozen or two dozen papers, newspapers and broadsheets and things that people uh, produced that were, uh, uh, that were passing the word. It's, it's the roots. Uh, of the circular letter, uh, the, 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 the committees of correspondence that, um, Sam Adams set up where they were writing letters to each other and the letters were called a circular letter. The letter was sent from one to the other and onto the other and onto the other. It circulated. It was a circular letter, uh, which, um, it was hugely popular and effective. A huge insight into, uh, sort of, um, uh, messaging. And, uh, you know, uh, back to my early segment on the show, talk about the power, power of the narrative machine. Uh, Sam Adams was setting the narrative. He was defining the issues. He, in fact, he did not participate in the Tea Party, in the actual Tea Party itself. And uh, the description in one of the biographies was that he was already thinking about how to capture the message around the issues and around what was taking place. So very cool. All right. That's all I've got for today. Thank you to Mason Mohan and Ryan Hype for producing the show. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. I'm Ed Martin. We'll be back tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.